Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Um, so today we're going to be going through John 6, um, 1 through 59. Last week Eric talked on Jesus kind of asserting himself and telling like his authority, like he was the Son of God, and how that separates Christianity from other like cults that call themselves Christians and other religions in general. Um, so we're, this passage kind of builds on that idea of, you know, who are you following? But before we get too far, let me pray for us. Lord God, would you be glorified today? Lord, would we turn to your word as the source of truth? Lord, would, we, would your word be our guide? Would we get our, our thoughts on the world, Lord, and in particular our thoughts on you from this book? Amen. All right, so before you start pulling out notes and pens, I would actually ask you to not do that. There's a, I wrote this out, at least most of it, and it's going to be available in the back afterwards. It's such a big chunk of scripture that I would like you to be able to pay attention the whole time. Um, but if you, find some, if you have questions after that, feel free to talk to me. Um, but yeah, so take it easy. I do want everyone to have a Bible, though. Um, because I want you to be able to check what I'm saying. And so if anyone doesn't have a Bible, if they could raise their hand, I know someone can get you one from the back. All right, so so 2,000 years ago, a man lived who claimed to be God. His name was Jesus. And one of his disciples, John, you know, wrote down his life, his death, and his resurrection with the express purpose that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we find that in John chapter 20, verse 31. And that's the purpose behind this book. And we need to keep that in mind whenever we read John, because that's, I mean, that's, the, that's the overall point. You know, there's different ways he does that, but that's the overall point. Um, all right, so I have a clicker here. Let's see if this, perfect. Yeah, so that's the purpose of the Gospel of John. Um, the passage we're looking at today, I kind of broke it down like this. It may be able to break it down differently. But it starts off with Jesus doing miraculous signs. He's got a crowd following him, and he's got a, a larger crowd following him, and a smaller crowd of his, his core disciples. Um, first he feeds you know, 5,000 people, and then he has a miraculous crossing of the Sea of Galilee. And the second half of the, um, the passage, which is primarily what I was writing on when I put together the packet, um, is a conversation with that crowd that he fed. So I want us to, as we go through this passage, and we'll read it in just a second, but notice the exchange. You know, what is the crowd after? What brings them to Jesus in the first place? And what keeps them following him? And also, I want to notice, what is Jesus offering them? I would argue that those aren't the same things. And that has huge consequences um, that we'll get in a little bit today and probably more next week. And what makes this a hard teaching? In verse 60, it talks about, people say, you know, this is a really hard teaching. Who can accept this? That's not part of our passage today, but that's talking about our passage. Um, So what makes this a hard teaching? A lot of it will sound really familiar to us if we've read the Bible. But imagine yourself, try to imagine yourself hearing it for the first time and hearing it as first century Jews, because that makes a difference. All right, so I'm going to start by reading the first... 21 verses. Bear with me. 
So sometime after this, and follow along in your Bibles, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have even a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about five thousand of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountainside by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But they said to them, but he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. When they were, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. That last verse, it's kind of tricky. Like It tells us you know, how far into the lake they were. And according to the map in the back of my Bible, the Sea of Galilee is like six and a half miles wide by like maybe 12 to 15 miles long. So they're in the middle of the lake. And then... As soon as Jesus gets to the boat, immediately the boat reached the shore. It's kind of, it's subtly put in there, but it's also a miraculous sign. Um, Alright, so why, you know, why, why do miraculous signs? Why does Jesus do these? Well, I, this, the idea of having a sign implies that it's pointing to something. Um, and I think it's pointing to his divine nature. It's supposed to, you know, if you were, to meet a man who could, you know, turn a sack lunch into, you know, food for Detroit, that would that should stop you in your tracks and say, you know, who is this guy? If you have a guy who can walk on water, like that's not just a kid's story. Like that's someone in the middle of a storm walking on the water to you. Who is this man? That's that's why he does miracles. To to, to let us know that there's something more to him than an average man. So he has divine power to protect and to provide. Um, And we also get taught a little bit in this about his disciples. Like Jesus wanted to test them, which implies, and and it appears that they failed the test. Like he wants them to say, you know, Jesus, you could just feed them like you're God, right? Um, But they're like, well, you know, let's, Jesus, we don't have enough money for this. And well, we do have a little bit, but we're not gonna. It's not gonna go that far. 
So they don't really get Jesus yet. And we see that again and again until after Jesus dies. Then, start, then something clicks. Um, so they don't get him yet. The crowd doesn't really get him either. And we kind of get a picture of what they're following him for. Um, so the crowd, you know, they started following him because of miraculous healings. You know, then they were fed miraculously. And then all of a sudden, they're like, well, this guy, you know, he's, he's the prophet that Moses told us about. A prophet, Moses said, there will be a prophet like me who will come after me. And you can find that in Deuteronomy 18. But, so, they're, they're on this track now. They're like, this is a prophet. Let's make him king. They want, why do, why would they want a king? Don't they have a king already? They want a king because they want, they want to overthrow the Romans. They also had heard prophecies about this, uh, king like David who would come. And David was a great warrior king. He expanded Israel's territory. So they want, they want that. They see this guy who's got power. And they're like, well, let's use that for what we want. All right, so neither group really understands Jesus. And, but they're pursuing him for different reasons. And we'll see more clearly you know, why the disciples were following him next week. But we see why the crowd was following him, and we see that there's something dreadfully wrong with that. So you know, just this idea of what you are pursuing determines what you end up with. You know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right, so let's read the, the second part of this. And this is more of a conversation. Uh, get some water. I told myself I had to get water. <laughs> All right. So the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Pause. What? They're asking for a miraculous sign. Hadn't they just seen? Some, like They've been fed, right? Don't miss that. I'm not going to make sense of it for you, but don't miss it. You know, what will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, I will make sense of it for you. So they're they're like, Moses had told them, a prophet like me will come after me. Um, So they're expecting that. Moses fed them every day, fed Israel every day in the desert for 40 years through God with manna. Um, So they're kind of like, well, you fed us once, you might as well keep going. Um, so that, I think that's where it's going, but they, they, they saw it, but they wanted more of it. Um, so Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me 
will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I'm going to repeat that verse. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. So what does the crowd want? Anybody have any ideas what the crowd wants? Stuff from Jesus. Okay. So yeah, they, they came, they started because of healings and, and food, and now they want more miracles. Anything else? Okay, we also talked about you know, wanting, wanting to be free from the Romans. They wanted to make him king. Um, you know, I think, to their credit, they do want to be taught. Um, I think they want to be taught, you know, in line with what they're already thinking, but they, they're calling him rabbi, and they're asking them, you know, what are the works God requires? So, that's not a bad thing. But, what is Jesus offering? And we'll see that in a second. Yeah, so what is Jesus offering? And I'm not going to read through all these, but, you know, he offers basically himself. And he calls himself, you know, a few different things, but mainly the bread of life. Um, he wants, you know, he's offering them food that endures to eternal life. And the food is his flesh and blood. And eternal life is remaining in Jesus forever. 
Don't miss that eternal life is remaining in Jesus forever. It's not this eternal playground. It's remaining in Jesus forever. You know, we, we're used to this, this language of flesh and blood. Um, well, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you're used to it because it's the language of communion. But he's talking to a people who hadn't, didn't have this idea. At least they didn't, they definitely never ate anyone's blood and no animal's blood. But they had really strict dietary laws. They couldn't eat certain animals and definitely couldn't drink any blood. So this is, I mean, this is crazy language to them. Why, I mean, why use language like that? Well, I think he's trying to, you know, kind of shock them into this, into seeing something beyond what they're used to, into seeing something that's more real, you know, than the physical reality that they're kind of stuck in. So, you know, what's, what's the big difference between, uh, you know, what the crowd wanted and what Jesus offered? Well, the crowd wanted Jesus because he seemed like a better way to fulfill desires that they already had. But Jesus wanted not only to be the means to the end, but he wants to be the end itself. Um, and we see this in this passage. Like it's, if you read it a few times, it'll come out at you. But you also see it later on in John, where he says things like, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way to eternal life. And I am eternal life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, which pretty much just says it itself. Um, so, you know, why, why does this crowd struggle to believe? I think there's two big reasons they struggle to believe. First, there's misplaced human expectations. And second, there's God's sovereign hand. Um, for the human expectations part, we talked about this kingdom reign. They, were, they wanted Israel to be established on the map. But Jesus wants to be established in their hearts. They didn't, miss, they, they didn't get that point. Um, they also had this misplaced idea of how to achieve righteousness. And you get to, and we'll get back to that in a second. Um, and God's sovereign hand. So, people are born spiritually dead. And thus cannot choose to follow God or believe in God on their own. We like to think of ourselves as spiritually struggling. You know, I kind of have this image in my mind of, you know, someone getting saved from drowning. Like, we think of ourselves, you know, as out in, out in the middle of the ocean, um, but we're really good swimmers. And, you know, we, we can probably tread water for three or four days if we want to. And we've only been doing it for like an hour. So we're, you know, we're struggling. We need some help. And Jesus comes along in a rowboat and he throws us a line. And we're like, cool. And then we climb in. But the picture that the Bible gives us is spiritually dead. We've been out in the ocean, face down, drowned for three days. We are not moving. There is no spiritual life in us. That's the way we're born. And we inherit that from Adam and from the idea of original sin. So we don't need someone to throw us a lifeline. We need someone to breathe a new life into us. And we can't, we can't start that process on our own. Um, and then the second part of God's sovereign hand, the Bible is pretty clear that not everyone is going to be saved. Um, and given the fact that we can't choose God, and we need God to choose us, that means God is choosing some people and not choosing other people. Which is, this is part of what makes this passage such a hard teaching. It was hard back then and it's hard now. Alright, so misplaced views of achieving righteousness. Um, so, in verse 28, it says, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You know, why does Jesus respond to a question about works and only talk about belief? 
Well, I think the big part of that is context. He's talking to a group of Jewish people who have had this law of Moses for probably close to a thousand years at this point and had just become focused on this kind of outward action separated from heart change. And this is the area of legalism, which Jesus rebukes many times. His goal, however, is not to separate belief from works, but to make sure that works are never had without belief. Um, 2,000 years later, I think our error, the one we're more likely to fall into, is separating our belief from our actions. Um, you know, we want to worship God with our lips on Sundays and do our own thing the rest of the week. We want to have sex outside of marriage. We want to pursue wealth. You know, we want to dishonor our parents. We want to get drunk. Like family of God, this is not the belief that Jesus had in mind. It's not a come-to-church-on-Sunday belief. It's a Sunday-through-Saturday belief. Um, and we see... I th- this, is, this, kind of a, this idea of belief is big, and I just broke it down to four points, and it's not going to include everything in it, but we see that from, the, from the, you know, the whole of Scripture, the weight of Scripture, that belief is to pursue your satisfaction entirely and solely in Christ. You know, it, it will cost you life lived your way, but you get Jesus, which is far better than life lived your way. And such belief will be evident in one's words and deeds. Faith and works are not disconnected. Um, for more on that, you can look at James chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Okay, so back to this idea of who chooses who, and why am I talking about that in this passage? Well, he t- Jesus talks about it. That's why we're talking about it. Um, yeah, it's, it'd be a lot easier if we didn't have to talk about it, but it's there. Um, so in, we kind of see this in the particular in verses 35 through 44. And I'm not going to reread those. But I will will read verse 44 again. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And earlier, you know, Jesus says, You have seen me and still you do not believe. You know, seeing is not believing, and faith is not simply an agreement to facts. The crowd clearly believed Jesus existed. He was right in front of them. They believed he had miraculous powers. You know, a lot of us, if we believed those things, we'd say we believed in Jesus, right? Um, You know, they had eaten his bread, and yet they did not believe that he was the bread of life. They didn't believe that he was the source of life. They did not believe he was God. And the clear implication of these, these verses is the crowd doesn't believe because they haven't been drawn. Remember, we're spiritually dead. We cannot choose God on our own. And this is a hard teaching because it reminds us that the Creator is free to pursue His glory through us however He wants. It's not about us, which, that's hard. You know, He doesn't answer to me. I don't get to say, God, you know, why, why didn't you do it this way in my life? I mean, I can say that, but He's going to be like, well, I wanted to. Um, and, I'll, and I have to accept that, you know? That's, and if you really want to hear this clearly and in all of its hardness, I encourage you to read Romans 9, verses 14 through 24. So there's, you know, we can go a lot of different directions um, with this idea. This idea has been called, like, election or predestination. Um, 
And there's, you know, a lot of potholes that we can fall into. And hopefully we won't. Um, you know, God's ways aren't our ways. We can't fully understand this idea. I believe God gives us just this imperfect glimpse at different points in Scripture for three big reasons. And it's not so we can get lost in endless discussions. I believe he tells us this to give us rest. Um, so he promises that he will not lose those he has given. Our hope of salvation is not in our ability to choose God over and over and over again before we die. He started the work and he will finish it. It's also to increase our humility and gratefulness. God did not choose us based on anything about us. It wasn't that he, he knew we would choose him back. It wasn't about that. It wasn't that he knew we would have really good faith. Um, we have no cause for boasting. We have only to offer unending thanks to the Lord for his great mercy on us. You don't deserve this gift, but you've been given it. Praise the Lord. And I think it's also included to inform our evangelism. And we talk about this a lot when we're going out and sharing scripture. The idea that God is the one that has to do the work in people's heart frees us up. You know, we don't have to convince people to be Christians. Our job is to clearly portray Christ to them. If we've done that, it's a success. So who are you following? You know, is it, the G- is it Jesus as he talks about himself? Is it Jesus as, you know, the whole of scripture reveals him? Or is it a Jesus you heard about from your friend? Which may be the same Jesus, but you've got to check it. Is it a Jesus that you read about in a book, other than the Bible? Or that you saw on TV? Or heard a preacher preach on? But, you know, we're not, we're not walking around after God right now. Um, so this idea of following might seem a little foreign. So what, you know, another way to maybe say that question is, what keeps you coming to Mac Avenue Community Church? what that those letters stand for um and if this is your first time here disregard this question keep thinking about the following question um you know mac av does a lot of things well and i think elizabeth and quasi you know talked a little bit about you know the love that is here for people and you know god is doing things here and you can sometimes miss god for what people are doing like are you here for this really great sense of community. Are you here because Mac Ave is all about helping poor people? Like, are you here for the cause? You know, those aren't bad things. We should help poor people. We should help rich people. You know, we should have that community. Those aren't bad things. And those desires may seem innocent enough, but if they're not Jesus, if you're not pursuing Jesus, you don't end up with Jesus. You end up with a really great community on earth and then hell for eternity, which is not a great community. So, you know, what, you know, what, I think one of the things that keeps us, at, you know, the very big picture keeps us from pursuing God is that we don't believe he's better than other things. Um, you know, and this, this idea is what separates, like Eric was talking about last week, it separates cults 
from real Christianity. It separates Islam from Christianity and all the other religions. How big is your Jesus? You know, from Genesis to Revelation, God promises his people the best thing, the thing that will make us the happiest, most joyful people on earth. You know, when we see this promise, our jaws should hit the floor in amazement that we have this promise, that we have this offer from the Creator. But we don't. They're just like, oh, that's cool. Um, you know, why, why don't we get it? Why do we keep pursuing our like, cheap imitations of Jesus, our like, warrior king or our great physician? Um, why do we keep pursuing those things? Um, I would encourage you to take some time this week to, to get into the Word, to meditate on passages that make much of Jesus. You know, we sing, we're going to sing a lot of songs today that, talk, that make much of Jesus. And those are based on Scripture. Um, yeah, we need, we need to be in Scripture until we can sing with a psalmist. You know, your loving kindness is better than life, and a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. You know, be intentional. Set aside time to get into the Word. This is the primary way we've been given to know God and know how big God is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So is Christ your treasure? And I use the word treasure there because I think treasure captures this idea is he what you're seeking first above all other things. You know, that we, if we could grasp the greatness of God, the fullness of which dwells in his Son, Jesus Christ, you know, what would it be like if we saw him for the treasure that he is? I think we would throw aside our cheap imitations, not begrudgingly, but with joy, deep and satisfying joy. Um, I've got a, a few verses about, you know, what what does treasuring God sound like? I'm not going to read them, but it sounds like adoration and praise. It sounds like the songs that we've been singing today. It sounds like these, you know, these scripture passages. When we're talking with people, they should understand that we adore Christ. And you know, here's a couple about what it looks like. And I think it looks like this single-minded, focused pursuit. You know, I think you can probably tell after maybe 15 to 20 minutes of conversation with someone, about where what they're seeking in life, if you let them talk. <laughs> um, so, you know, do you treasure Jesus' family? Is he why you're here? Or is he just a means to get what you really want out of life? Does your life show that Christ is worth more to you than family and friends, more than power, sex, a job, sleep, food? Jesus was talking to these people, and he wanted to be worth more to them than food. He's saying, I am real food. And, you know, I thought of a few ways to kind of test this on ourselves. Um, you know, what Jesus do we offer to others? When we're out sharing the good news of Jesus, what kind of good news are we giving people? Is it that he can give them next month's rent? Is it, you know, that we've got this great community here? The Jesus that you offer others 
is probably the same Jesus you're following. At least the parts that you feel are most palatable. Um, And what happens when everything goes wrong for you? There's a great verse in Habakkuk where he's looking out over this devastated Israel. And he closes, I mean, he just, he goes through a description of, you know, nothing's going right for his people. And he's saying, he ends with, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Can we say that when everything's going wrong for us? And we've had a lot of, you know, a lot of people here have had setbacks um, and trials in their life. Can we, can we still have joy in God during those? And how do you spend your resources? Um, yeah, how do you spend your time and your money? And what does that, you know, what does that say about your Jesus? Is he more important to you than entertainment or clothing or hobbies? Do you tithe, family, before you go and spend money on yourself? Do you give God back what is his? You know, you can probably fool me. And you can probably fool everyone in here if you work hard at it enough. You can make your life look really good and really centered on Jesus. And you can passionately pursue him. One thing I didn't talk about that crowd, like, they were, they were crossing this lake and walking around this lake to get to Jesus. They worked much harder to get to Jesus than we did to get to Macav today, I think. Um, so they were, they were passionate about pursuing Jesus. And yet there was something wrong. God wasn't fooled by that passion. He wasn't fooled by them being busy about following him. Because he knows what's in the hearts of men. You can fool us. But you won't be able to fool God, family. And so I pray. That you would look at your heart. Go through this passage. See if if this if what I any of what I said was real. And then look at your heart. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord God, for your word and for your Holy Spirit who guides and convicts us. Lord, would you give us hearts of flesh to replace our hearts of stone. Lord, we desire hearts that are spiritually alive and that delight to pursue you for who you are. Lord God, would you be glorified as the goal of our lives? Would our pursuit of you with our time and our resources show others that you truly are the very great reward promised so many times to your people. Lord, would we overflow with delight and joy that becomes those who have found the bread of life to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Amen. All right, so I don't know if this is the next slide, but we're going to go into time of tithe and there'll be a song playing. But I want to encourage you as we're taking ties that if you're new, keep your wallets and your purses in your pockets. Um, but if you are from Macav, and this is you know what you consider your church family, I pray that you would give cheerfully. Um, take this opportunity to treasure Christ with your finances.